The emotional side of this is a very difficult one to, to navigate. And it's because, I mean, most business owners, their business is their baby. For a lot of us, the hardest thing to prepare for is the thing we all know is coming, the end. Yeah, so it's something they care very much about. Typically care very much about their employees, very much about their customers. It's something that, you now when I talk to business owners about succession planning or exit planning, you have to be really sensitive to those types of things because it is, I mean, it's, it's like a child to them. I'm Patrick Pacheco, and you're listening to In Good Companies from Cadence Bank, the podcast where we answer the toughest questions facing your business and guide you through the company lifecycle from start to sale and success to succession. For a lot of business owners, the business is their baby. And just like a kid, your business will grow up. There comes a time when you have to let it go. If you haven't prepared the business, it won't be able to grow and thrive independently once you're out of the picture. Today on the podcast, we're talking business succession. Whether it's planned or unplanned, there will come a day when you no longer run your business. Time, as they say, is undefeated. Is your business prepared to survive without you? Who makes the decisions if you're unable to? Do you have a successor? These questions can be difficult and emotional to think about, but they're essential, and it can save your business and your loved ones a lot of heartache if you figure them out before it's too late. It's much easier to answer these questions when you've got someone experienced and thoughtful by your side, like our guest today. Good afternoon. My name is Eric Priamo, and I founded Juniper Equity, which is a private equity group in the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area. I'm uh, Ari Marin. I'm a wealth strategist at Cadence Bank. As a private equity investor, it's part of Eric's job description to know about the business succession plans or lack thereof for any business he works with. Part of the investment thesis going into a private equity investment is what the exit looks like. You go in there with a plan to exit. So, you know, we're, we're in there and we're creating redundancies and we are reducing customer concentration and we're preparing the business for a sale now, even though we might not sell it for five years. That's why private equity is so successful, because you go into the deal with a succession plan. Business owners, if they could think that way, it would be a, a very good way to think about things. But succession is a conversation which can have a lot of variables. So Ari, what's your role at Cadence in helping business owners think about succession? My role is educational, is the way I portray myself. The more somebody has a conversation about a certain subject, the more refined, clearer picture they're going to have. And, and so oftentimes they need somebody like me who has some experience in the area to help them walk down some of the scenarios and best practices and things to consider. It involves choosing the right successor, empowering the business owner to leave at their time of choosing, being prepared for an unplanned departure from the business. And if the business is to be sold, to be able to have the business owner sell the business on the most optimal terms. As we're going down the road, we're also trying to make sure, well, okay, let's talk about some of your retirement goals and where you are positioned in terms of what you need for retirement income. So we're having multiple conversations at the same time. So we're not only we're talking about their business succession plan, but we're seeing what type of exit plan are you capable of. So it, it's interesting just in those two answers. It, it kind of highlights the, the number of things uh, that you have to do with a succession plan because, Eric, you spoke more with regard to the business and how the, what the business has to do to plan around it. Ari, you're speaking more to the owner 
and how that owner is, is planning their personal life around this plan on how the business is going to go forward. So these conversations are complex, and it's good to have someone like Ari or Eric to guide you along the way. But let's zoom out. Why is the business succession plan so important in the first place? So every owner of a business is going to exit their business at some point, voluntarily or otherwise. When there's a, uh, a catastrophic life event, and usually we can call those death, disability, even bankruptcy. So a business owner who has not prepared for their, their exit properly can result in catastrophic failure to the business. And of course, their family's financial well-being could be affected by that. And I would add to that, you want to be wealthy. You don't want your business to be wealthy. So what I mean by that is, you know, the earlier you start on investing in non-correlated assets outside of the business, if it's a retirement plan, if it's a life insurance policy with cash value, having a real estate portfolio or other businesses that are not contingent on success of that principal wealth generator is the smart way to go. And the best way to do that, obviously, is to start years in advance of your exit because we take steps to lessen the risk that a catastrophic failure in the business will be catastrophic to your own personal wealth. One thing I was going to say is that, you know, talking about how much of their wealth is tied up in, in businesses, I've often seen you know, small business owners have 80, 90 percent of their wealth tied up in that small business. And in a discussion I used to have more frequently with people, but I still have with, with small business owners is about the, the diversity of their portfolio, you know, if you take that asset into consideration, now you're looking at 80, 90% of your portfolio being tied up into one illiquid microcap stock, essentially. Yeah, as planners, really what we're doing is we're identifying risks of all kinds, and then we're taking steps to mitigate those risks from having a catastrophic failure towards either your personal finances or other businesses. Etc. So, uh, you know, the typical recipe is diversify, diversifying out of concentrated holdings and making sure that other measures are taken into consideration when you're planning to mitigate the risks associated with the risk. So, or the effects that a risk can have on, on your wealth plan. Maybe the best way to illustrate this is to show what would happen if there isn't a plan in place. What happens essentially is that you have a valuable business that the key person, the key engine to the business is essentially is out of the picture now, has died and they didn't put the proper plan in place, the value of the business was not protected, and the business has to be liquidated for, for a value that otherwise would have been inappropriate. For example, if you have an item that's very valuable and it's provided a valuable source of income for you and your family over generations, if the second you retire or become disabled, the value of that is, it basically goes away. Good luck selling that because by you getting removed from the business, from that asset, which helps provide it so much value, you know, obviously that value isn't protected. When does a business owner need to start thinking about this? And when they do, is this a one-time set it and forget it deal or is this kind of a living document? What I would say for that is that a business owner should start thinking about their exit or their succession when they form the business. Now, how often does that happen in practice? Not very, if, if ever, but you really need to start thinking about what an exit is going to look like as soon as possible. You, you need to look at it early. Maybe that's kind of best practice. More common, what we see, um, what I see is, is three to five years out. So definitely benefits to starting early. Is it ever too late to do something? Once an LOI is signed, which is a letter of intent, 
it becomes a lot more difficult. There might be a few things you can still do, but it kind of goes back to you know what Ari was talking about with the the risk around key employees or just key key personnel. It could be the owner, it could be an employee, and creating redundancy. You have to create redundancy in a business and have people, anyone, whether it's the owner or, or another employee, be able to walk away for a week or two weeks or a month and the business not stop or not not hurt. And to be able to, to do that properly, you probably need to you know, train someone for months, if not years, to get them up to speed, depending on the you know, type of business we're talking about. Yeah, so that type of thing really does need to be in place, I'd, I'd say, a, a year before an exit. But there are things you can do that that still would be a benefit to you up until the sale, but it becomes a lot harder after that LOI. The biggest stumbling block of any business succession plan isn't their business valuation or the tax code. It's a multitude of strong emotions that are inherent to this process. They're probably one of the biggest barriers, if not the biggest barrier to all of this planning. You know, you have your typical alpha business owner who doesn't really trust other people, often is the case. And I think that's that's pretty common. I think the way you start the conversation is you start to appeal to their relationships. So, you know, whether it's employees or customers, what we're trying to do is to try to put a plan in place that protects them. So, you know, if you're a manufacturing business and you have great relationships with some type of manufacturing company, that uses your parts for their, you know, what type of interruption is that going to have on their own business? Reputational, your reputation is at risk if, if something were to happen to you and all of a sudden they can't get the parts they need for their business. But again, you know, it, oftentimes this planning starts to take place after some health event occurred. So they had what was a mild heart attack or they went skiing and they got injured and they really started to think about what to do in case, you know, something it were to happen to them. And really, so... Oftentimes you get that owner at that moment, but really I think it's just about protecting employees, protecting your family, and then also protecting your customers who you've developed relationships over, you know, years and your reputation. The emotional side of this is a very difficult one to navigate. And it's because, I mean, most business owners, their business is their baby. Yeah. So it's something they care very much about typically care very much about their employees, very much about their customers. It's something that when I talk to business owners about succession planning or exit planning, you have to be really sensitive to those types of things because it is, I mean, it's, it's like a child to them. Speaking of children, succession has the potential to ignite drama within a family, but sometimes that drama can be avoided with a simple conversation. One of my proudest moments were times where I talked to business owners and they ended up not transferring the asset down to their kid. Not because their kid wasn't a good person, but they never asked their child, do you really want to run this business? You've been, you've been working for him forever. You've been working the business. Or do you want to go try to make your own way? Do you have some other ideas? And when I talked to him about having that discussion, the kid said, you know, you did great, Dad. I appreciate it, but I'd like to go a different way. So it turned out they, they pivoted, uh, decided they found a financial buyer. Uh, they did some planning ahead of time, got some money out to him, and he got to go do his, his own thing and was pretty successful at it. But a lot of times the patriarch or matriarch doesn't talk to the kids about what it is they, you know, do they want it? Do they not want it? Yeah, just because they're working there doesn't necessarily mean that's what they want to do. 
And if they haven't been coaching them for years on trying to integrate them not only just to the business but into the control of the business, the management of the business, then what real expectations, chances will they have if they suddenly inherit the business to run the business successfully? And sometimes, you know, less so these days is when there is a daughter in the picture. And sometimes the the father the um, will not consider the daughter as an appropriate owner for her business interest and or not taken as seriously as her male siblings. So, you know, there are some family dynamic issues there that also have to be addressed. And the best way to do that, of course, is starting them off really young and getting them involved in the business and, and really planning this out and understanding that there are these different roles. And maybe the oldest son is not interested in the business. Or, you know, if it can't work together, if my parents had a business and you gave it 50-50 to each of us, it would just never work, even if we were interested in running the business. I think what should have come out through all this is communication is, is really, really a key. And, you know, one thing we probably haven't hit on enough is uh, beyond just the, the financial ruin, the lack of succession planning, the worst part about it is the litigation aspects. Because more often than not, you end up with litigation, especially when it's kids and they don't know what's going to happen or somebody gets ownership. You'll have to make hard decisions during this process, but they're made easier when you approach them head on with your advisors and your family. There's always a creative solution to a problem. The, the real issue is identifying the issues and the problems and trying to plan around them. So it could be splitting the business. It could be doing different product lines. It could be, it could be a lot of things. So recognizing that the, the family, even if you know that your kids are capable of it, trying to get an understanding of their, of their personalities and the dynamics within that family unit as successor owners is very important as well. Once you clear the emotional hurdles, then you have to develop your business succession plan. That plan starts with an understanding of your goals, which for Ari means heading out to the barn. The way I often talk to people is the farmer, the cow, and the milk. So when you look at a property interest, there's really the three aspects to it. What are each of the interested parties interested in? Is it to control the business? So, you know, the analogy is the farmer. Is that what you're mostly interested in? Is it the cow itself? Are you interested in the capital appreciation of the asset, the equity, or is it just the income interest that you're interested in? Because all of these things have a solution. So if you're only interested in one, there's a way to make all the parties satisfied depending on exactly what it is that they're interested in. So, you know, if you have a family member who is interested mostly in the income for the business, then, you know, there's ways to do that without giving them any of the control of the business. And if it's capital appreciation, but not control, you know, they want to make sure that they're still an owner. There's ways to do that as well. So it's really just listening to the, the parties and trying to use your imagination and creativity to try to make a solution for everybody where they're satisfied. Once your goals are laid out, it's time to see what you're working with. I always love to start off with a cash flow analysis to see what their expenses are, to see what impact will the business have on your retirement picture. So next question is, what's your business worth? So I often say it's better to get a business valuation done ahead of time. Number one, so that you understand what the value of the business is worth. And number two, so you can plan accordingly for your retirement. So as you go down the road in terms of business succession planning, they say, well, I want my kids to have it. Okay, that's an interesting perspective. Do you plan to sell it to them or do you plan to gift it to them? Because if you're planning to gift it to them, you're not going to reach your retirement objectives because it's, you need to sustain yourself with some source of income in retirement and the business is going to be a big part of that. So as we have further discussions, we're, we're kind of getting a better idea of what we need to do to the business. So if you have a business owner whose retirement is highly dependent on receiving value of, of the business, you want to maximize that. And of course, you want to take steps to make sure that you're not overexposing yourself 
because if you have a business where you were involved and suddenly you're out of the picture and it's a successor owner, nobody knows how that successor owner is going to be. And if your retirement is funded by, let's say, installment payments coming from the buyer, you want to make sure that you've taken some steps to mitigate the risk that's associated with the business failing and you not receiving payments for, for the sale of the business. An important part of buy-sell planning, whether it's between co-owners, kids, or equity investors, is having proper valuation provisions that can take into account all aspects of the business. And then making sure that the business isn't going to be valued at its book value or adjusted book value if it's, if it's a business that produces a lot of cash flows that takes into account. And removing the potential for ambiguity and litigation. Because really, the catastrophic thing you want to avoid is where the owners are what we call deadlocked, which is the worst case scenario. That's another thing with the emotional side of this is business owners almost always think their business is worth more than it is. It's tough if, if somebody thinks their business is worth $20 million and, and you come back and tell them, well, really, you know, based on the numbers, it's worth $12 million. You have to explain that and you have to be careful with it because you don't want to just tell them, hey, you're, it's actually half of what you thought it was or 60% of what you thought it was. Yeah, I guess what you then start looking at why there's a difference between what they think it is and when, what it is. I mean, because there could be some things they could work on, I would assume. Exactly. And that's where getting ahead of this and not, you know, starting to look at, at planning right when you're looking to, to make some sort of exit or actually do a transaction, whether it's to family or however, looking at it farther in advance allows you to go in and for two or three years or however long it takes to make those changes to capture the value that you want. Another key part of a good succession plan is flexibility because you can't know for sure when you'll need to exit the business. When that time comes, you'll want to have multiple options on the table so you can choose what works best for you. The flexibility of the different options, making sure you have that in place, but also figuring out early what option, and by option I'm talking about selling to employees, selling to a co-owner, transferring it to family, third-party sale, employee stock, those are the uh, the options. And figuring out which one makes sense for not only you as an owner, but also your business. I think that's a really key part and really important part to be thinking about. And, and the flexibility that Ari was referring to that's so important, where that comes into play is what might make sense for you and your business today might be different five years from now. So that's why the plan has to have some fluidity to it. So that way you can adjust as needed. Maybe five or 10 years from now, you have a, a child that, that you decide it makes sense to transfer the business to him or her. And in that case, maybe you're looking at it differently. One of the things that came up most in our conversation with Ari and Eric was redundancy, redundancy, redundancy making sure that if you disappear, someone else knows how to do your job so that the business isn't lost without you. A lot of that is going to be around maybe restructuring the employee org chart and getting redundancies kind of in place and having people there who can do multiple things and really cover each other. Just like you don't want your business to be reliant on one person, you also don't want too much business tied up with one customer. 
The other thing that comes up very often, especially with uh, small businesses, is customer concentration risk. We'd work through that with them and, and what that means and, and how to work around that. You know, no business owner wants to say no to a customer, but there is some risk if there's a customer that makes up call it 50% of your business. What happens if that customer goes away? So it's not necessarily saying, no, we don't want to do more work with that customer, but how can we grow into other areas to make that percentage go down? and working, working through that with either a client or a partner. And both Ari and Eric agreed that a good plan is revisited often and updated frequently. Now, the frequency that you're going to be updating, this is what we call ambulatory. It's ongoing. You're constantly going to have better ideas the more you think about it in terms of how to implement your business session plan, but it's something that should be reviewed with some frequency and changed with some frequency, likely. Clients are often worried about the tax implications of their succession plan. But Ari is clear that this can't drive the process. It's not about lowering your tax bill. Doing this planning, tax tail doesn't wag the dog. Succession planning, selling your business, it's not about figuring ways to avoid paying taxes or reducing. The taxes in large part are going to be what they're going to be. There are some things that you can do to minimize uh, the amount of taxes you're going to pay. And I think that oftentimes people come to me and they say, well, I want to sell my business. I don't want to pay any taxes on it. Well, just don't report the transaction then to the IRS. But and seriously, I mean, it's not, that's the priority should not be placed on avoiding taxes or reducing taxes. So it should really start with what am I trying to accomplish? Then it's, can I accomplish it with the people that are here? And then once all that is in place, then the tax guys can come in and say, here's the most efficient way to do that. And if you start with tax planning, you're never going to end up with, with anything that you really wanted to do. A good succession plan is put into motion well before the succession happens so that the business is resilient and can weather abrupt shocks. So how do you implement concepts like flexibility, accountability, and redundancy? For Ari, a surefire way to accomplish these goals is with corporate governance. So when you talk about corporate governance, Ari, what are you talking about? Yeah, so it's formalizing the decision-making process. At initial stages, you have a person who founds a business. You have that owner's vision and values, his decision-making process, and the fact that he implements his, his own ideas. At the early stages of a business, you have all three done by the same person. But when you're talking about successive ownerships, you're talking about now you have a business with different persons who are not only benefited by the presence of the business, but also may become successor owners. So now really what you're talking about is, is not necessarily achieving you know, the, the next level of the vision and values part, it's the decision-making process. One reason to implement formal corporate governance, it's just good for business. One issue that we see with a lot of small businesses is they feel it's, it's not necessary to have a board of directors or board of advisors, but it, it really is a best practice and it really can help it can just help your business. It can help the operations. It can help the growth. It can help you be more efficient. So in my experience, the, the board of directors and advisors, that's something that, that should be set up no matter the size of the business. So that way you have people who may be outside of the business that have strong business experience that can you know, give guidance and, and wisdom and share their experiences and and help with the, the growth and, and the operations 
of, of your business and, and help your business be better. That's something that, that I've seen be, be very powerful. There was one business that I was working with, and this was, this was a few years ago. They did not have a board of directors. They were kind of, you know, just kind of moseying along, you know, not, not huge growth, not necessarily really high margin, you know, kind of lower margin business for the industry. Once we got in, we recommended that they get some advisors in place and, and they have some people, they meet with them quarterly. They do these important things that can really help. A year or two later, they were growing 10, 15, 20% a year for a few years in a row. Their margins started to, to come up. They were really more industry average or beating industry average. So their, their KPIs were just stronger and it made a, a big difference in that business, which which ultimately goes to the the value of the business, which is what everyone you know everyone wants an increased value when you're looking at your succession and exit plan. And that redundancy, redundancy, redundancy that we're after, corporate governance is a means to that as well. So you need redundancy in terms of can the next owners make a decision without the owner being present. So as a gross example, in many states, if a corporate owner dies then his executor becomes the new temporary owner of the business. And an executor may not necessarily be empowered to run a business. And guess what? If that executor, if the business loses value while the estate is opened, then the heirs to the business can sue the executor for mismanaging the asset. Oftentimes, the executor sells the asset. So, so in this period where an owner dies, who's making the decisions to run the business? If it's day-to-day responsibilities, having people empowered to run the business day-to-day if it's something that is more, I guess, strategic for the business, then having persons who are going to be able to act strategically, such as a board of directors, who can act without the owner's input or for special occasions and that sort of thing. Finally, corporate governance can be a great bridge to trusting others to make the decisions. Now you have to put your shareholder hat on. Because, you know, one of the things that I often like to talk to family members about, especially when you're talking about generational wealth created by a business, is what's the difference between an owner, a member of the board of directors, an officer, and a manager, and an employee? In the first generation of the business's existence, they were all, you're dead. (laughs) But really, as the business grew and took on more employees and, you know, expanded, you know, now these are distinct roles. And so, just because you, you own the airplane doesn't mean you can fly the airplane. So think of a business as, a, as an airplane. Just because you are a customer doesn't mean you get to tell the pilot where to go or make decisions about the maintenance of the plane, etc. You can iterate on a succession plan for years. So if you're going to be in the trenches with someone like Ari or Eric for a long time, it's worth hearing their advice on how to make the operation as smooth as possible. What is something you wish more clients understood about the succession planning process? That it's not a one-shot deal, that the plan may change, that they need to keep looking at their plan, that somebody's going to be not happy with the plan. I'd say those are a couple of things. So oftentimes as attorneys, you know, we see the client complaining about the price of having to get their documents redone and all that sort of thing, but them understanding that the cost of not doing any of this planning is is much more than whatever attorney's fees you'll pay up front. 
the thing that's just most important that often isn't totally understood is getting it in place early and looking at it often. Just like in any complex situation, communication is key. I think the the number one thing is being open communication-wise and open as far as providing information. You know, so sometimes that's actually a, a little bit of a, a difficult thing, right? Like there's, there's a little bit of a funnel there where it gets caught up. But being able to have open and, and truthful you know, conversations and open lines of communication about what it is that an owner wants for themselves, but also for the business, that's a really key part. And then the, the other part is really providing good, accurate information, whether it's financials or, or other pieces of information around the operations of the business. So that way you can truly understand the asset and value it appropriately. So that way they, they understand what they have. I would say is, is just give me access to your advisors. I don't want to go through you every single time. I'm happy to CC you, but just give me your accountant's email address and tell them what we're trying to do. If you have a lawyer, give me permission to go to them because these clients, not only are they typically reluctant to do this in the first place, but they're really busy. Like Eric said, that communication aspect, when you remove that barrier in the middle, uh, it makes the free flow of communication a lot better, a lot more accurate. It speeds things along. It's just my preferred way to do things. So there's going to be multiple people involved in this process no matter what. So if you can, if you can have them all communicating freely without, if, if the client's in the middle, they're the filter, and then they're giving everything, like you said, Eric, on kind of a need-to-know basis, and I don't think you need to know this aspect, you know, everything just kind of falls apart. The biggest hurdle to any of this is just getting started. You shouldn't wait because it won't delay the inevitable. I always thought, well, you know, what can a client do to help me help them is, is just call me. Stop procrastinating. When people would, would talk to me about wills when I was practicing, they'd say, so if I die, I'd say when. They'd go, did you just say when? I said, yes, it's when you die, not if you die. And it's when you retire, not if you retire. Because one way or another, as you said, Ari, you're retiring. It may not be on purpose, but you're, you're going to retire. So I think people just have to deal with their, their, their mortality and say, okay, I want to make sure that everybody's in a better position or at least no worse position than when I'm here and when I'm gone. And I think they kind of owe that down to their family and to their employees. I mean, the employees are kind of counting on you, long-term employees, that you've got some, something in place that this isn't falling apart when you, when you pass away. Your business is a big part of your legacy. You put immeasurable time and dedication into making it work. And if you plan properly, you can keep the story going for a whole new generation of employees, clients, and customers all while situating your family for the next chapter. The best stories have satisfying endings, so don't leave things unfinished. Start setting up your plan today. Implement redundancies and make sure you've got the proper valuation mechanisms in place. Experiment with corporate governance and get some of the key stakeholders involved with decision-making so you can feel confident in transferring the business when the time comes. Most importantly, address those difficult discussions head-on. You can't find creative answers if you don't ask the questions. I'd like to thank Ari Marin of Cadence Bank and Eric Priamo of Juniper Equity, two gentlemen who always have great answers for hard questions. In Good Companies is a podcast from Cadence Bank, member FDIC, equal opportunity lender. 
Sheena Cochran is our production coordinator. Our executive producer is Danielle Cornell, with writing and production from Andrew Gannam and sound design and mixing by Alex Bennett at Lower Street Media. I'm your host, Patrick Pacheco. If you've made it this far and you got something out of the episode, why don't you go out and give us a five-star rating in your podcast app? It's the best thing you can do to help the show grow and reach more people. And join us next week because when you're with us, we're in good companies. This podcast is provided as a free service to you and is for general informational purposes only. Cadence Bank makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, completeness, or timeliness of the content in the podcast. The podcast is not intended to provide legal, accounting, or tax advice and should not be relied upon for such purposes. To the extent that this podcast includes predictions about the economy, these predictions are subject to a number of variables and you should confer with your legal, accounting, and tax advisors for their input regarding the possible outcomes of any economic subject matter discussed herein.